Hello and welcome to the Fun Kids Bookworms podcast. My name is Bex and I love books and particularly the books in this week's episode. We've got two incredible authors for you. Sam Sedgman is going to be telling us all about the clockwork conspiracy. But first up, it's Stuart Heritage with my Fun Kids book of the month, The Odd Squad, Rise of Invisidog. Let's find out more. I am joined right now by journalist and author Stuart Heritage. Hey Stuart, how are you doing? Hello, I'm really well, thank you. I'm really good, thanks. Uh, even better, because I finished your brilliant brand new book and it's, man, it's really funny. I really, really loved it. Thank you so much. It's so good. Oh, that means a lot. Thank you. The only people I've heard opinions about it so far are my children and they're kind of, they have to like it because I, I feed them. Well, you say this, but they don't have to. Were they like giving you feedback? Were they giving you opinions and comments and queries? Oh, yes. It would have been very different, a very different book if I was allowed to write what I wanted. Any boring bits, they brutally got rid of very early on. Well, I mean, that's very good, obviously, but I wouldn't give them too much credit because then they will want some royalties, I imagine. You don't want to do that. Oh, no. There's a a character in the book called Quack Attack, and my son, Herbie, is adamant that he invented Quack Attack, and he didn't. And there's going to be a, you know, a court case down the line. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, give give it a few years and Herbie will be absolutely clawing back some money from you. But in the meantime, Stuart, take all of the credit because Rise of Invisidog, it's so much fun. And in it, we meet a brand new superhero. Can you tell us a little bit about Invisidog? One of my favourite things, uh, like people who are bad at their jobs, it just really makes me laugh. And I wanted to think of a superhero who was bad at his job. And he's an invisible, he's, obviously he's an invisible dog. His name is Invisidog. But it struck me that invisibility is, a, if it's the only thing you can do, it's a really rubbish superpower. You can't throw someone off over a building or you can't, you know, zap someone with your laser eyes. <laughs> yeah. It's just a, you just can't see them. And he's a dog who can't talk. So all he can do is woof. So people, they think they can hear a dog that they can't see. So that's... <laughs> That's where the story started. But then I decided that's very funny for 10 seconds. But then I wanted to make him, you know, and he tries very hard. He is the most frustrated superhero I think we'll ever meet. Yeah, he all he wants to do is solve solve crimes. He wants, in his head, he's Batman. He's this, the dark crime fighting uh, thing, but he's just a lovely, adorable puppy that no one can see. He is very cute. And he's also been inspired by an octopus and a duck who are already crime fighters in your book. Uh, can you tell us about them as well? Yes, yeah. So the other two superhero animals in the book are, there's Detective Octopus, who, brace yourself, is a an octopus who's a detective. <laughs> and then there's Quack Attack, who my son didn't invent, who I guess the most sort of traditional superhero of them all in that he's kind of good at what he does but he's sort of annoying and a bit selfish he's a, he's a duckling who rides a motorbike and has a superpower quack as i'm sure you guess i was also going to say he's quite cool isn't he he wears a leather jacket and there's something about a leather jacket even if it's a duck already cool automatically cool yeah there aren't enough ducks who wear leather jackets and call people suckers that's that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's the coolest he's the coolest superhero he is the coolest, but also he's he's a bit rude to our lovely dog. And um, I'd, I'd, it's difficult to say too much without spoiling it. But I will say they have an excellent villain here as well. Captain Bad, which is just perfectly named. I'm a good writer, <laughs> but that was the first the first thing I could think of. <laughs> I wanted to think of uh, someone who sounded like they were bad. So I just used the word bad in the title. Straight away. I think it works. Yeah, it really does. And also, it is a really, really funny book. One of the bits that really jumped out at me, maybe it hits me where I live, is when you describe the freelance lifestyle of being like a Batman-y, Sherlock Holmes-y vibe. They don't work for the police, but they kind of are like bad. Like They hunt out the baddies. And it's just like, it's full of little fun throwaway one-liners. And of course, you're the narrator as well. So you get to add in your own little point of view too, right? Yeah, I I love doing that bit, being the narrator, because you can tease the readers a little bit in a nice way. And you can... Or... 
um, that what happens in the book is that the readers sort of, even though they might not know it, they outsmart me constantly <laughs> yeah. as the narrator, who's a kind of, I think has, yeah, the narrator has ideas above his station. I'm, in the, the illustrations of the narrator don't look like me. So I'm allowed to say the narrator is a separate character to me. Because okay. he's very, uh, he's very vain and he has, um, he has lots of big ideas about how important he is. And he isn't, obviously. Well, you know, he's kind of important, but I do enjoy that every now and again, he does get interrupted by like a comic strip or something. He's like, no, come back. But the plot has to move <laughs> forward. And he's like, no, no, sorry, you're, you're not important. Uh, speaking of which, we should say like the illustrations are incredible in the book as well. Aren't they amazing? I, I think they're my favourite thing about the whole book. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, Vincent Batignol, who's a French illustrator, who's just, every page is amazing yeah. and colourful. And it's exactly, exactly what I wanted when I wrote the book. And it's every page is there's little details. There's one page early on where there's the baddies are on the docks and one of the villains in the background is holding a giant bomb above his head, which it, there is no reference to that in the thing. <laughs> I think it's because in the 1960s they made a Batman film where someone did that. I haven't asked Vanson about that, but I think he just threw that in as a Batman reference and it made me laugh so hard. I love that. I love the idea of just little Easter eggs just through the book that you you yourself have had to find in your own book. Yes, I know. I, I, I have more fun than anyone else looking through it. And also I kind of feel like I've been setting him challenges. There's one page where I described an octopus who was playing four, four violins at once and he had to draw it. I love and that it's so it's amazing. Much. It's so it's good. It's amazing. I noticed that one as well, because also the idea, of course, that uh, she's feeling sorry for herself and, you know, that you play the violin and everything. Yeah. And then I saw, I was like, oh, my God, how do you draw an octopus playing violins? But you manage it. I mean, you both together, you describe it. We see it. Do you feel like, I assume, first of all, there's going to be more books in the series? Would that be right? Yes, definitely. There's another one coming in August and which I've just completely illustration wise, I've just told him to draw just the craziest stuff I could think of. And he's he's doing a really good job. That's what I was going to say. I was going to be like, did you give him any challenges? Did you give him some crazy things to draw to see what he would come up with? There are monsters in it. And I was just not even describing monsters, just putting words together and saying, that's a monster. And he's he's drawing them. Right. Amazingly. <laughs> I'm so happy. Uh, so yeah, there's there's one coming out in August, the second one. And then uh, hopefully more after that. Do you find it hard to like write genuinely funny books for kids or does it come like just super easy for you? I kind of like it. I, I, I've written some, you know, grown up books and you kind of, you have to be serious and you at some points you have to, you know, tell a story and, it's, <laughs> and you know, make points. But I really enjoy, I think, especially when, uh, for kids this age, I've been reading the book at some schools before it, before it's published. And you can just be stupid. <laughs> yeah. You can just be like, just aggressively stupid. And it's it's my favourite thing. And it's my, my kids' favourite thing as well. They just, they love just being sort of hammered with, with stupid jokes the whole time. And just, I, I, I love it. I love it so much. I mean, it's not a stupid joke, but I also did love the running theme of the villain who loves curtains just all the way through, all the way through the book. Yeah. Great. Yeah, just obsessed with curtains. Daniel, I love Daniel very much. Daniel's a sweetheart, I think. I, I feel for Daniel. He might be my favourite character. <laughs> he's, he's a henchman who was found by Captain Bad as a baby and for some reason just grew up loving curtains. And no matter what the subject is, he'll somehow weave his way back to curtains. Look, we've all got to have a hobby, Stuart. And if that's his, then that's fine. <laughs> I think, you know... Writing him has made me appreciate curtains more. Well, you know what? Reading him made me appreciate curtains more as well. So it was happy days for curtains. Well, this is great. Yeah, curtains all around. I um, hope there's a there's a real curtain resurgence in the in the future because of 
because of Daniel. There's a Curtin fan club out there who are like, yes, finally, we're getting our moment to shine. This is, this is amazing. <laughs> I should say, Stuart, I haven't mentioned it to you already, but this is the Fun Kids book of the month. So thank you so much for kickstarting the year in the best way possible because it's such a fun book and I really do think everybody's going to love it. So uh, yeah, thank you for bringing it to us. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't know that. Thank you. That's that's really incredible. But before I let you go, we have one more bit of business to do. Every author who comes to Fun Kids does a little quick fire round of questions. And because this is your first time on Fun Kids, I wondered if I could do that for you right now, please. Of course. Okay. Bring it on. Okay, no stress, but I will judge you for some of the answers. Okay, first up, books or Kindles? Books. Yeah, everyone says everyone says that. Heroes or villains? Oh, villains. Interesting. Film adaptation or TV adaptation? Oh, okay. This is properly difficult. I'm going to say TV adaptations because they're longer and you can do more. More space. This one is just for you. Octopus or duck? Oh, come on. I'm going to have to ask it. Oh, right. Okay. Now, all right. I like both. Do you know? No, no. Do you know what? I'm actually really scared of octopuses. I'm really terrified of ducks. Yeah, I'd say I love, the same. I love yeah. detective octopus, but if an actual octopus, if I saw an actual octopus right yeah. in front of me, I would freak out. Yeah, they're terrifying. I'm 100% with you on that one. It's like I'm really also scared of jellyfish because I'm just like, oh, no, there's something ugh, weird about them. Yeah, they're, they're weird. They don't just have to exist. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I agree. Beginnings or endings? Beginnings. Hogwarts or Narnia? Narnia. Okay. But the bad Narnia, where it's always winter. I feel like they really spoiled Narnia by making the, the snow melt. When it's the Arctic, that was great. Keep it like that. Keep it with, you know, everyone's sad and it's cold. You want to wrap it warm. All right. Power of flight or power of invisibility? Invisibility, despite everything I've said. Well, to be fair, you've got, you've got to support Invisidoc here. A laptop or write by hand? Laptop. Do you write nine to five or do you write when you fancy? I write nine to five. I keep office hours. And no, I don't even keep office hours. I keep school hours. I work when my kids are at school. Wow. Okay. that's You're the most strict. Imagine being able to write when you fancy. Imagine the luxury of that. Honestly, I, I, but some authors are just like, oh, I squeeze it in around other things or, but the idea of keeping nine to five is quite strict on yourself, really, isn't it? It's quite regimented in a good way. Yeah, it is. But I like that. I like discipline and I like routine. Okay, no, that's great. Paddington Bear or Winnie the Pooh? Paddington Bear, obviously. We say obviously, but some people have picked Rupert Bear, which is a bit off piece, but all right. Rupert uh, Bear? Don't get me started, honestly. <laughs> people coming in. Wow, bring, okay. Bringing different bears. This is the big one, though. This is, the last one is the most important one, and the one okay. I, will, I will judge you on this one. Salt and vinegar or cheese and onion? I'm trying to read your face. I can see you. I'm trying to read your face to see the truth. I'm trying to give nothing away. That's, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, salt and vinegar. Yes! 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 That's correct answer. Even, even if you're lying, Stuart, I don't care. You said the right answer and that's no, the important no, thing. No, it is. I used to be a cheese onion boy. Went off it. I like I like a salt and vinegar. Yeah, it's the best one. 100%. But I, yeah. I would eat any crisps. You could give me any crisps and I would eat them. So... I mean, yeah. Yeah. But also, had you said cheese and onion, I would have had to take back the Book of the Month award. So um, good job <laughs> you said salt and vinegar. <laughs> you've saved us all a little piece of work there so that was good God, thank goodness for that well thank you so much and hopefully we will see you for the next one in August as well uh, I'm going to drag you into the Fun Kids studio yeah in the meantime thank you so much for telling us all about the Odd Squad thank you for having me this has been so lovely big thank you to Stuart Heritage for telling us all about the Odd Squad and of course congratulations on getting the Fun Kids book of the month for January first of the year 
Now, a close contender for the Fun Kids Book of the Month of January was uh, Sam Sedgman's The Clockwork Conspiracy. In fact, the only reason it didn't get my Book of the Month for January is because it comes out in February, February the 1st to be precise. So let's find out all about Sam's brand new book. It's a mystery packed with rooftop chases, hidden codes and mind-bending science. I'm here with Sam Sedgman, incredible author, and has brought us a brand new book, The Clockwork Conspiracy. Uh, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Now, um, a lot of our listeners will know you from your previous work, also collaborations with MG Leonard, but this is you on your own. Is that right? That is right. This is my first piece of solo middle grade fiction, and I'm really, really excited for people to start reading it. Yeah, you've made something quite unique and exciting. Um, tell me about The Clockwork Conspiracy. Where where do we meet Isaac? So Isaac Turner, aspiring inventor Isaac Turner, we meet him at the top of Big Ben on the night the clocks go back because his dad is the keeper of the great clock, which means that he's the horologist in charge of looking after Big Ben and keeping it ticking. But his dad vanishes from the belfry of Big Ben on the night the clocks go back, leaving behind uh, a smashed pocket watch and a cryptic message. And it's up to Isaac and his rebellious friend and Hattie to solve a series of clues that lead him on a treasure hunt through London's landmarks to find out what happened to his dad and save him. It's a classic mystery. Was it exciting to write a mystery? Did you know where you were going with it or did you just see what happened as you went along? Well, I absolutely love mysteries. The Adventures on Train series that I wrote with MG and Leonard are all mystery stories. And I'm absolutely obsessed with um, seeing how all the pieces of a mystery fit together. Making a mystery is a lot like, I imagine, being a clockmaker, because you have to make sure all the gears and the springs fit together and strike the right note. But I very much, as a writer, I'm very much a planner. So I have a big wall in front of me right now of all the post-it notes of all the different scenes, and all the different characters. And I move them around like a, like a jigsaw puzzle to make sure the story is in all the right shape before I start writing all the sentences. I love it. You're a a post-it man. Okay, this is good. This is good to know. Um, So tell me, you must have also had to do a lot of research on this because uh, even the words, is it horologist you said? Horologist. There are so many great words in timekeeping. Horologist means a a maker of watches or clocks. Yes. So this is it. So did you know much about it before you started or how did you decide, you know what, I'm going to write about time? People always ask me this because I've been mad about trains since I was a kid. And when I did Mm. adventures on trains, that was sort of a lifelong passion. But clocks weren't something I knew a great deal about. But I was interested in them because I went on a tour of Big Ben with my dad, which I organized for his birthday, because he's an architect, he loves old buildings. And also, I grew up with a very lovely grandfather clock in my house that my dad would always wind every week. And I thought, oh, that's a nice thing for us to do. But when I went into Big Ben, it was so magnificent and full of magic. And just the the sheer size of the machinery in there, you get to go into the clock room and Big Ben itself, like the mechanism is like the size of a car. And when it strikes the hour, it springs into life and all these gears and cogs and cables and bells start moving and striking. And it's just incredible. And me and my dad turned to each other with the look of sheer childlike joy. And I knew in that moment that there was a story to be told here and that it was really exciting. So I then did my favourite part of writing, which is as much research as possible. I went to the Royal Observatory in Greenwich, which is the home of timekeeping. Um, I read lots of books about how clocks work. I researched as much as I could about the, the Palace of Westminster, where Big Ben is, and found out loads of stuff about how Parliament works as well. So I really sort of gathered as many cool bits of information as I possibly could about clocks and time. And from them, 
sprang the story of the clockwork conspiracy. I mean, that in itself was a beautiful story, Sam. I have to say, so a friend of mine went to, I think probably did a similar tour, went to Big Ben and did a tour of the, the clock tower and told me loads of facts, which I've entirely forgotten now. But it is fascinating. Like it is an incredible bit of architecture and a bit of history as well, isn't it up there? Oh, it absolutely is. They now sell tour tickets to anyone who wants one. And I wholeheartedly encourage everyone listening to your show to see if they can get to Big Ben as quickly as you can. You get to climb up the tower. You get to stand in the belfry and watch the bells being struck. The story of Big Ben itself is quite impressive. The Great Bell, as it's properly known. They made one bell for it, but it was too big. Um, They made another bell, uh, but they struck it with a too big a hammer and the bell cracked. And then uh, the Big Ben that we have today that you hear striking the hour on the news is slightly off key because it's got a crack in it. Um, But my favourite fact I have to say about Big Ben is that the chimes that you hear, because the chimes are broadcast live on the news and stuff, and they are literally broadcast live from a microphone in the belfry. They're not pre-recorded. When you hear the bells of the chimes of Big Ben strike on like New Year's Eve and stuff, that's really coming from a microphone up in the belfry. They broadcast them live at 6pm and midnight on Radio 4 every day. And they used to broadcast them at lunchtime as well. But they had to stop that when there were some workmen working up there and accidentally said some rude words around lunchtime. And they were broadcast live to the whole world. And that's my favourite fact about Big Ben. Oh, Sam, that's a great fact. I'm going to be telling that to loads of people later on. Thank you for that. That's amazing. Now tell me about um, Isaac and his friend Hattie, because Hattie's dad is also quite important in Parliament as well. Is that right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, So Hattie's dad is the Speaker of the House of Commons, which is the person who sits in the biggest chair in that room full of all the green leather benches and shouts, order, order. (laughs) And it's his job to basically keep Parliament straight and make everyone be very well behaved. Um, And he actually, in real life, lives in the Palace of Westminster, which is this incredible palace where, you know, we write our laws and where government sits. But I hadn't read any stories set in the Palace of Westminster. And I was fascinated by that place because it's basically like a real life Hogwarts. There are so many weird rituals and customs about how our government works. And I thought it'd be really exciting to to have some characters from that world. So Hattie is like home from her international boarding school and staying with her dad, the Speaker of the House of Commons. And she and Isaac become rather reluctant friends in the story. But where Isaac is is like an inventor, he's like um, thoughtful and curious and loves to see how things work. He's a bit shy. Hattie is like bolshy and rebellious and loves to like push at the boundaries of social convention and what's allowed. And so between them, because he loves to follow rules and she loves to break rules, they make quite a nice crime solving team. And so we have them, uh, she loves to scamper over the rooftops of the Houses of Parliament at night when no one's watching because she's a big rebel and she loves to do that. And so she kind of um, helps Isaac unravel the mystery of his dad. And I had so much fun writing their emerging friendship and seeing the two of them go on adventures together. I can well imagine. And it is, like you say, it's such an exciting setting for a book. And it is weird that not much has been set there before, right? Absolutely. I mean, if I tell someone, oh, this book is secretly about how Parliament works, it sounds so boring. <laughs> so I don't want to say that. But as I was investigating Big Ben, of course, it's part of this bigger building, right, where we where we make our laws and where government sits. And there are so many weird things there. Like there's two towers at Parliament. One is Big Ben, the Elizabeth Tower, and one is the Victoria Tower. And do you know what's in the Victoria Tower, it's where we keep all the laws. Oh, like what? when we write our law, we write it on animal skin, on vellum, roll it up like a sort of treasure map and slot it in the tower. That's like where all the laws are. And I was like, there's a room where just the what? laws are. That's so mad. And they all have to be signed by the king, of course. And every morning, the Speaker of the House has to march through Parliament holding a golden mace. And the two front benches of Parliament are designed to be two sword lengths apart so that fights don't break out. <laughs> and halfway up Big Ben, there's a room that 
that used to be a prison. And if you spoke out of turn as an MP, as a member of parliament, you would be carted off from parliament and stuck in the tower, in the prison tower. And this all happened relatively recently. And a lot of the traditions are still going today. I was but completely befuddled as to why no one had written about this world before. But it is so exciting. And the reason I wanted to write about it is because the heart of my story is about someone who's trying to change the law about how we measure time. So obviously, we measure time with, you know, 24 hours a day at the moment. We've all seen a clock. We all know how that works. But I thought, what would happen if we changed how that worked? And so there's a law going through Parliament called the New Time Law to change it to be 10 hours a day, 100 minutes an hour and 100 seconds a minute, which is based on a real thing that happened after the French Revolution for several years when they used metric time. So that's why I have so much of my story set in the Houses of Parliament. I was going to ask, was was this something, have you researched like, like clockwork and history of this this kind of stuff as well? Like, Was this a thing that people have actually tried to do in the past? Oh, absolutely. And when you start tugging at the threads of why time is the way it is, it all falls to pieces because there's no right or wrong way to measure time. Time is just sort of a big old expanse of, of nothing and how you chop it up is entirely up to you. We really, I mean... The French really did have metric time after the French Revolution when they invented the metric system, you know, the kilometre and the metre and everything like that. They also tried to invent a new unit of time to be 10 hours a day and all that. It didn't catch on, but it was used for about five years. And you can still see some clocks in France that have 10 hours a day on them. And yeah, there are so many other ways of looking at time. I looked uh, right back to the beginning of when timekeeping became a thing. So, you know, the early sundials of Rome, like the water clocks of ancient Greece. Um, the very earliest timekeeping device that I could find is a bowl with a hole in the bottom. And the idea is you, you put this bowl in a lake or a river or something, and the time that it takes to sink is like one unit of time because you put it in and it slowly fills up with water then it sort of goes underneath the surface of the water and that's like a marker of time but people have come up with so many ingenious ways to measure time over the years like you know the hourglass and there are even flower clocks that people use where the opening and closing of flowers mark the passage of the day it's a fascinating topic that i could go into at no end and also the more futuristic stuff right um as part of my story they visit the, the atomic clock which is the most accurate clock in the world and even to this day, scientists are arguing about what the best way to measure time is and can we make things more accurate? Because time infiltrates so many different parts of our lives, right? Um, you have to have super accurate clocks on things like satellites to make sure that, um, you know, space stations can line up with each other. And satellites, of course, are what makes so many of our different parts of our life work, like our smartphones and things like that. So even though time might seem like an old TikToky clockwork cogs and pendulum sort of a thing, it's also cutting edge science. And I was just fascinated by how the, these two sides of it folded together. And that's what really informed my story. I could talk to you about this all day. This is fascinating because it's the kind of stuff that I love, but I don't know anything about. So this this is incredible. And you, you really have done your research, right? You've really delved into every possible thing that you need to. I mean, I'm just a massive nerd, really, is what I say. And the thing is, <laughs> I, when I find something that interests me, I love finding out something that I'm fascinated by that I, that I know nothing about. Because then I get to go on a journey and I get to follow mm. my nose and see what's interesting. And when I'm writing a story, that's sort of my compass, right? If I think, well, I think this is amazing. I wonder what the the history of this is. I wonder what cool machinery there is. I wonder what amazing people have worked in this area. That's what I always try and follow and work out um, where the interesting bits are. And because I think if I think it's interesting, I bet other people will think it's interesting too. And then I get to weave them into a story, which is like doing a big uh, jigsaw puzzle. And that's, uh, that's really fun. 
Oh my goodness. Honestly, Sam, this is incredible. Um, now I do, I do have to ask, are we, speaking of going on journeys and compasses, are we expecting more adventures on trains or are you going to go a little deeper into the, uh, the world of clockwork? So Isaac Turner is definitely going to return in uh, some more adventures. So the Clockwork Conspiracy is a standalone adventure, but um, Isaac and his friend Hattie will return in future installments of those adventures. MG Leonard and I have had a wonderful time writing adventures on trains. We've written six of those books. And six? There are six of them in only three years. It was very Crikey. exhausting to write, let me tell you, especially because we like to do our research too and travel on railway journeys all over the world to research them. I remember, we yeah. We would love to write some more, but we have no plans to write any more at the moment. We both decided that it was good to take a break from it for a little bit. Uh, hopefully in the future, come back to it with some fresh ideas. So for now, I'm afraid there are no concrete plans to write any more adventures on train stories but it is something that we would love to return to in the future but for now we're both focusing on our own books uh, because we our brains are so full of ideas we couldn't contain them any longer Yes, you're both incredibly busy people, which is great for us because it means we get more books, to be honest. This is lovely for us. Sam, honestly, Clockwork Conspiracy, what a dream. What an incredible story. And um, also, I just honestly, I could talk to you about it all day. Please <laughs> do. I've got time. <laughs> honestly, part of me is thinking, how, how long can we have this? This uh, I want to find out more about clocks and time. Can I tell you my um, favourite fact about clocks? Please do, yeah. So as I was doing all my research, I discovered, you know, if you imagine a clock face, you know, with the 12 numbers on it, around the edge, there's a sort of circle with like little grooves in it, sort of marking the minutes, like yeah. five of them between, between every hour. There's like 60 of them around the edge. What do mm-hmm. you think those little bits are called? <gasps> oh, I don't know. I feel like it should be something to do with 60. It, but... it, yeah, it's not to do with a number 60, but each one of those 60 things are called chapters. No. When I, a novelist, discovered that, that was when I immediately knew that the Clockwork (laughs) Conspiracy needed to have 60 chapters. Oh my goodness. And it's such a beautiful fact that kind of, because time is like a story, right? And it's just like the unfolding of our day. And I thought there was such a beautiful symmetry to that when I was writing a book about time. That's definitely one of my favourite facts about clocks. That's a great fact. That is beautiful. And just you must have been like, I have to write this book because it's like time has told me to. Oh, absolutely. Time was telling when a story tells you what it wants to be, you absolutely must listen. But as a writer, I my favorite thing is like structure, how the story is shaped, how the different pieces fit together. It's kind of like the mathematics of, of how the story works. And so when I was like, oh, there are 60 chapters. Great that I, I can write out 60 blank post-it notes and stick them on my wall and then start working out what <laughs> happens in each chapter. And I have different characters telling you the perspective of each chapter. So I was like, I'll use different coloured post-its for those ones. Like Isaac will be blue and Hattie will be green. Once I realised that, the whole shape of the story fell into place and it was very exciting for me. I found out recently, and, and you may be able to correct me on this, I think it's right, um, how long a moment officially is. According to Science Focus, the term uh, dates back to the 8th century, and it was to define a period of 90 seconds, which seems quite long. It does seem quite long. But then one of the things I've discovered about time is that we change our perception of time in different eras, right, in different societies based on what's important to us because you measure things in a way that's useful to you right and so Mm. before computers and before you know accurate timekeeping was really important the idea of a moment would have probably felt longer whereas now the idea that you know you can do something in each minute is really particular I mean 
I know this from my work on trains, right? And I even talk about this in Adventures on Trains, that timekeeping really changed when trains came to the United Kingdom, because you needed to have accurate and consistent timekeeping between all the different stations, so you could make sure that the trains ran on time, and so that people knew right to the minute when their train was going to arrive. So suddenly having a super accurate clock at every station in every town was really important. And also, they all had to agree what the time was. That's when we came up with the idea of a consistent time zone for the whole country. Before then... It was slightly different time in Bristol to London because they're like Bristol's further west. So the sun sets in Bristol, I think like 10 minutes after it sets in London, just because it's further around the curve of the earth. And so that meant if you're judging time on, you know, noon is when the sun is highest in the sky, that means your clocks are going to be different to each other. So when the trains came along and the railway companies were like, well, we need to agree what time it is everywhere all at once. That's when railway time, as it was called, was introduced, which was basically every clock in the country sort of was set to the same time at the same moment. Although not a moment is in 90 seconds. I mean, the same instance of time. (laughs) You see, you see, you get tangled in knots very quickly when you talk about time. I love it so much. And I do love uh, that you have brought it all back to the original, the OG, the most famous clock of all, Big Ben yeah. and uh, the Elizabeth Tower. And you've you've made it so uh, that is the focus for the book as well. And that is incredible. Um, Sam, man, honestly, it's, it's fascinating. Thank you so much for telling us all about it. I feel like I've, I've learned so much <laughs> from the book, obviously, and from yourself. And uh, I believe if the book is out on the 1st of February, is that right? The 1st of February is when it springs into bookshops. I am <laughs> so excited for people to start getting their hands on it because it's been with me for a very long time. And I kind of can't believe that it's finally going to be out there in the world. And I'm really excited. Oh, man. Uh, well, thank you so much for telling us all about it, Sam. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It was so nice talking to you. I have to say, they are two books I absolutely adored, and I think you will as well. Of course, if you've got a book to tell me about, a book you're reading at school or at home, let me know. Go to funkidslive.com or drop me a message wherever it is you're listening to this. In the meantime, see you soon for more bookworms. <laughs> <laughs>